reading this morning is from Acts chapter 28, verses 11 through 16. Pew Bibles, that is page 795. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Patoli. There, we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these three, at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. We had a great holiday, Robin and I did, with our uh, children and grandchildren. It was really cool because we, you know, we have one son who lives in Little Rock and one son who lives in Dallas, and we flew into Dallas to the son who has no grandchild for us yet. And so we, we flew in there, and he manages a restaurant in Dallas, and we thought, well, we'll go there and have lunch with him and spend a couple of days, and then we'll head for Little Rock, uh, rent a car, head for Little Rock and see our grandson. But when we walked into the restaurant, my son was standing at the door, and he said, greetings, Mom and Dad, great to see you. Come this way. And we went through the uh, restaurant, and then he kind of said to me, uh, oh, great to have you here. Why don't you guys sit at that table over there with those people? And when he said that, my first thought was, oh, he's invited some people from church to come and have lunch with us. How great. But I looked over, and my other son from Little Rock had driven with the grandson to see us already. So we got to see our grandson for every day that we were on our holidays, and it was absolutely wonderful. Probably the best part of it is just the fact that our grandson is the smartest child that's ever been born. Um, you know, it really is a wonderful experience to know that your offspring are carrying on the kind of intellectual rigor that you are uh, wanting to pass on to them from the outset. And so the doctors say that the average grandchild uh, has about uh, five words in their vocabulary at one year of age, and ours has about 15, which makes him three times smarter than any child of which I'm aware. So I, I thought that was cool. I was trying to think about where he got all of that intellectual prowess, and I think it's from the woman who's sitting over here in pink. It's certainly not from the one who wears a hat, hard hat and a tool belt when he stands up to preach. So it, it was exciting for us to be there. We had an absolutely wonderful time with him. Saw him every day that we were there, uh, and it was great. I think I have some kids, too, and, and they were there as well. But the grandchild was really kind of the focus of our attention. So... Wonderful time. I pray you were blessed uh, while I was gone. I, I've heard good things about what, on, what went on when I was here, both with uh, Western being here and with Kevin preaching last week. All of that sounds like it just went wonderfully. So praise the Lord that God blessed you uh, in my absence. I am doing something with this today. For those of you who are guests today, uh, I can't remember a time in the last uh, 20-some years of preaching that I wore a hard hat and a tool belt when I stood up to preach on a Sunday morning. I've done other things. I've played the violin. Uh, I have brought a bearded dragon with me, some things like that. But I don't think that I've ever had a tool belt and a hard hat. So this is not usual. Don't think that this is uh, what you'll get every Sunday morning if you come here. Our text is absolutely wonderful uh, in the way that it communicates something about what God was doing uh, through this Apostle Paul. We've already read these verses starting with verse 11 in chapter 28 of the book of Acts. And I want you to turn there. I think it was, was it 795 in the Pew Bibles? 
But I want you to look first at verse 1 of Acts 28. And I'm going to read a portion of this and uh, make some comments and we'll be done. Once safely on shore, Acts 28 verse 1, we found out that the island was called Malta. This is after their shipwreck. So they go through a shipwreck. Uh, It's not a good experience in many ways, but in other ways, God uses the experience. They arrive in the island of Malta. Verse 2 says, "The the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself to his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And so they were going under an ancient principle, and that is if something bad happens to you, it must be because you're a bad person. Now you'd think they would have thought about that for a moment or recognized that there are many good people to whom bad things happen. But for the moment, that's their conclusion about what this viper is doing. Verse 5. Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. This goes to some extremes here. At first, he's a murderer because the viper has bit him in the hand. Now he's a god because he didn't die after the viper bit him. So there's some uh, thinking here which is just interesting in the way that they treat Paul. Verse 7, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. So again, this is kind of interesting. This fellow takes Paul into his home. It ends up that his father is healed in the process. And then it says the whole island, all of those who were sick, came out to Paul to see him and to be healed. Now notice in verse 11, it says, After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that has wintered in the island. So Paul has been on Malta for three months. And during that three months, he has been healing people. It says the whole island came out to be healed. You get the impression that that was kind of what happened the whole time Paul was there. He gets there and people realize this guy could be a god. He was bitten by a viper. Obviously, they expected this viper to have taken Paul's life. It didn't. And so they're convinced that Paul must be a god. And so word begins to get around very quickly. And then he heals the father of the most important man on the entire island, the political leader of the place. And so after he is healed, word is going to get out. Now, I have no idea how many people were on the island of Malta at this time, but I'm guessing that there were a few, and I'm guessing that a number of them were sick. It was the pattern of the day. People were often sick in that time period. And here's Paul performing in ways that are not much different from how we think of Jesus performing. Jesus went around healing people. They flocked to him for healing. And Paul ends up conducting a ministry not very far from what Jesus himself did. And here's my point. And really, this is the point for the morning, although we're not done. I'm going to say a few more things. My point is, is that God, I think, is at this point honoring, honoring one who has served him well. And and what I'm thinking of is that if you think about it, up until now, 
During the course of Paul's entire ministry, the way that Paul has gone along about his ministry, over and again, he has faced hardships. The Holy Spirit told him as far back as chapter 20, verse 22, that he was going to face hardships, and he does. It's consistently one thing after another. He is beaten. He is, in this case, thrown out into the sea. He is stoned. He's imprisoned. At one point, he stays in prison for two years, not really having much of a chance to get out while he's with Felix and Festus when he's in the city of Caesarea. And so Paul has faced hardship after hardship after hardship after hardship. And now, all of a sudden, for the last 110 days or so of Paul's journey toward Rome, there is no more hardship. And if you paid attention to the reading just a moment ago, you found that Paul progressed from place to place and people honored him as he did. And when he finally finally arrives into the city of Rome, they come out to greet him. The Christians run out. They, they tr- go and find him in order to greet him. No doubt, after all the things that happened on the island of Malta, and after the week that he had spent uh, in one of the cities as he was traveling along and the good things that he did there, people have heard by now that Paul is on the way. The Roman system of communication and roads travel was phenomenal. And they had the ability to go from place to place very easily. And if Paul's going to spend three months on the island of Malta, it would be easy for word to get back to Rome that Paul is doing some great things, specifically in the name of Jesus. And God is blessing him. And that's exactly what happens. And so finally, after all the hardship, all the things that have occurred with Paul over the last several years of his life, finally there is this almost respite an opportunity for him to to enjoy some of the blessings of having worked hard in the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. Paul was still under arrest. He still had to testify concerning Christ. But God has now brought Paul to a place of blessing. He was faithful, he persevered, and God was now using him to fulfill everything that God has planned. Now, here's my fear. I have a concern this morning. And my fear and my concern is that sometimes we don't get to the point of the blessing. Sometimes we don't get to the point of the blessing. And the reason why is because the hardship looks hard. Because it is. Sometimes the things that we have to endure for the cause of Christ are difficult. And the fact is, they're made even more difficult by a society that puts all the burdens on us that it does. And so I could go around the room this morning and I could just ask people, how busy are you? How busy are you, John? Somewhat busy? Partially busy? Greg, you're in my life group. I've noticed that you sometimes are at work until 8 or 9, and I'm guessing here as the days get longer, 10 o'clock, putting siding on houses. And he does that because he wants to support his family. And I could go around and I could just ask person after person, how busy is your life? And I think he would all say, my life is busy. I could ask some of those young mothers, How busy is it for you? And you would say, well, Kelly, I'm just like your daughter-in-law who has a one-year-old son. And they're up in the middle of the night sometimes when he's hungry. And if he doesn't want to sleep early in the morning, then they're up then too. And I have to constantly pay attention to him. He never seems to be able to just make it on his own. And so she has to watch him. And it's a burden. It's a heavy burden. 
And then you combine that with another child. Or compound that with two or three. There are families among us today who have four. I'm guessing that those parents are fairly busy. I remember what it was like to have three. And, And times are busy. And so when we are then asked, in fact, by God, by the Holy Spirit, to work on behalf of him, it is not necessarily an easy thing. It's a burden at times to work for the Lord. When I think of what Paul had to endure for Jesus Christ, I mean, you know and I know that it doesn't even compare. All the the litany of things that Paul had to endure for the cause of Christ. And yet he's willing to do this. And so it's not surprising for me that here, near the end of his journey toward Rome, that God gives him maybe some rest. In fact, maybe God's thinking, Paul, I've got so much testifying for you to do, so much that you need to get accomplished in Rome, I've got to give you a bit of a break here. And so for the last 110 days as you travel toward Rome, I'm going to take care of you a bit. And things are going to be good for you because it's indeed a time of pressure. So being a Christian is not always easy. It may mean that you'll have to choose to act with integrity at work rather than do the unethical thing that would get you promoted. Sometimes people are asked to do that. It may mean that you'll have to sacrifice some comforts in order to have the funds to feed the poor or clothe a child in Africa. There are people here who make sacrifices in order to feed the hungry in Africa where they could be buying the things for themselves. It may mean that you'll drive less of a car than you otherwise would or live in a less of a house because you insist on making a regular, substantial financial contribution to the Lord's work. And there are people here who make contributions to the Lord's work and they make sacrifices in their own material world because of that. I've told you before, my in-laws, my father-in-law did well in business. He was, uh, you know, he had a successful Uh, endeavor in which he was involved as a manager in a logging company, but I never knew my father-in-law at all as being a wealthy man. And there's only one reason for it. It's because he gave his money to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why. He supported Columbia Christian College and Cascade College when he couldn't. But he still supported them. Recently, I was talking to him on the phone and he said, Kelly, I got another call from Cascade. It's been... The school doesn't even exist now. Like it's been gone for four or five years. But there's a Christian school here in town, Columbia Christian High School and grade schools that is looking forward to buying this property. And so they're, you know, they want me to make contributions to this. Well, he hasn't worked for 20 years. He doesn't have any income. But he made a contribution. And it was hard. But he did it. And he's made material sacrifices because of his desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes God calls us to make sacrifices for him. So it may mean that instead of going out on Friday night or using your Saturday for leisure, you come down and mow the lawn at the church. It may mean that using some of your holidays for working in our vacation Bible school uh, is something you're called to. And we have people here who actually use some of their holidays to come and work in our vacation Bible school instead of going on holidays. It may mean that instead of having all your free time at your disposal, that you choose to lead a life group, or you help at the stampede breakfast, or you act as the one who organizes the passing of communion in our worship, or you sing on our worship team. It may mean that you volunteer to teach children's classes, to help with the youth worship, to man the cafe, to help with the clothing exchange or the garage sale. It may mean that you're willing to be appointed to be an elder with all the responsibilities that the job requires, or to serve as a ministry leader. Those things could be things that God is asking of you. 
And it would make sense, actually, for you to say to those requests, yes. And the reason it would make sense is because that's what we're called to. Ephesians 4.16 says, The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You are able to know Christ because men like Paul served God despite great hardship. You are able to meet in a place of security and warmth and comfort today because brothers and sisters made financial sacrifices so that we could. Today, the Lord's Supper was prepared for you. Did you notice that? How many people here today had to prepare the Lord's Supper this week? One. He's sitting back in the sound room. And he does it every week. I'm grateful that he does. We take things like that for granted. Thanks, Wayne, for watching children, even as you're leading worship. Thanks, Wayne, for all the worship leading that you do, year after year after year, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You are a tireless servant of Christ, and I thank you. Without your sacrifice, we couldn't worship on Sunday morning. Without the sacrifice of these people who come up and sing, we couldn't worship on Sunday morning. Yesterday, the youth group raised about $3,000 for the next mission trip. Thank you to Mike Muirhead and John Newfeld and Mark Desi and John Coughlin and Megan Carter, who have no kids in the youth group, but who were here serving. And they weren't doing it because they have a teenager they're trying to send someplace, except they want to send all of our teenagers someplace. When you came today, the building was clean. Thanks to Margaret for doing more than she has to do in terms of keeping our building clean. Thanks to those who make financial sacrifices to support her so that she can do that for us. Thanks to Colin, who's willing to sacrifice his time to prepare the life group survey. He's right. We don't like to take those surveys. And in many ways, you think, this is just a pain. Don't make me do this. But Colin thinks it's important. And he spent a lot of time, you can tell, constructing those surveys. I hope we take our few minutes in order to fill them out. So thanks to Colin for that. To all these servants and many more, I want to say thank you. My impression from watching Paul's ministry through a long period of time now, we've been looking at Paul for weeks, months, watching Paul live out his life before God. And my impression of watching Paul is that he over and over and over again makes sacrifices for the kingdom. And so the question this morning is, what's your part? What's your part? How do you contribute to the work? And that's what we're about. We are workers. We have been created, Ephesians 2.10 says, for good works. And so what good works is it? that you're involved in, that you're blessing the kingdom in? How is it that your gifts are being used for the cause of Christ? One of the roles that I have in our church is to be an encourager. Another role I have is to be a challenger. There are times when the preacher needs to challenge people to grow and to be more than what they should be. Today, I get to do both. 
The message is that those who serve Jesus Christ with all their hearts are used in powerful ways by God to accomplish things of significance. We get to accomplish things of significance. Do you want your life to count for something or do you want to simply be a collector of nice things? That's a legitimate question. Do you want to contribute to the work of Christ and further the gospel or do you want to spend your time in leisure? I realize that we're not always faced with an either-or kind of question here. So it doesn't have to be the case that you either get to have your leisure time or you get to serve Christ. We actually, in our society, have the ability to do both. Sometimes we choose leisure, however, rather than serving Christ. Sometimes we choose what we want rather than what would make a contribution to the Lord's kingdom. Now make no mistake. If everything is wonderful for you, but the Lord's work is not done, that is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. If everything is great for you, but God's work isn't being done, it's a tragedy. It's a spiritual tragedy. Our world can't handle that. If God's people are not putting themselves into the work, if we don't put our shoulders to the plow, then we're going to see a world experience something negative because we weren't there for Jesus doing what needed to take place. If we have everything we need and more, which most of us do, and we ignore the needs of those around us, God is not honored. If a few people do all the work, it's God's work that is hindered. It's God that is cheated, not just that of the church. Recently, I had a church call and asked me to come to work for them. Occasionally happens. They kind of tongue-in-cheek suggested that they were looking for a preacher who was such a servant that he was willing to mow the lawn. What they said was meant to make another point, that being what they, what they wanted was a preacher who was willing to be a servant. So they were kind of making that point with me. And I get that. But I would want to turn that around to the church, any church that I was working with, and ask them the question, are you the kind of church that has so many servants willing to mow the lawn that the preacher doesn't have to? That seems to me to be a reasonable question. I mean, I'm more than willing to take my share. If you look on the list out there, my name's on the list. I'll mow the lawn. I want to be at a church where if I come to lend my hand at VBS or the garage sale, that there's a whole church of people serving along with me. Where life group leaders are easy to find because everyone who wants to make a contribution to the work of the Lord is there desiring to do so. Where if my family makes financial sacrifices for the work of the Lord, then I know that I'm not just one of a handful, but I'm one of the majority being blessed by Christ with the opportunity to give. There shouldn't be just a few of us who make genuine financial sacrifices for the good of the Lord's work. This is the responsibility of everybody in the room. Every one of us. We need to take our responsibility to do what God wants us to do and to be part of the work. I started with this statement and said this is the point, and I think it's so true. That God's great blessings wait for those who serve him. 
And so when I say to the church, hey, we all need to put our shoulders to the plow. Part of what I'm saying is we all get to be blessed. This is what God does. He blesses those who serve him. Real fulfillment and blessing comes to those who serve Christ. We find other things that we think will be fulfilling. We actually tried to avoid making sacrifices for Jesus when he actually sacrificed for us, of course. And when he says he'll shower down blessings on us if we make sacrifices for him. So we try all kinds of ways to think about how we can get out of the responsibilities that we might have at church. Let somebody else do that. And all the while, we simply miss blessings. Because God can't bless you when you're trying to get out of his work. And then when you do do his work, he blesses you greatly. It's a great deal. Recently, I heard someone suggest uh, that they had signed up to do something and no one ever called. Nobody called them. And I have to plead uh, guilty. Sometimes we've not responded as well as we should when someone has said that they were willing to serve. But church, it works both ways. If you're willing to serve the Lord's Supper, don't just wait for a phone call. Call Jason Holmgren and he will get you involved. The burden should not always fall on those who feel like they're already having to beg people to serve. You take the initiative for serving. We typically announce places where there are needs. Think about how God has gifted you. Pray about that. And get involved. Don't wait for me to call you to say, would you please serve Jesus? I've got a responsibility here, a way that you can jump in and serve Christ. Would you please do so? Don't wait for that phone call. Instead, think to yourself, Jesus Christ died for me. I need to give my life completely to Christ. I need to serve him. How can I serve Christ? Because God wants us to serve him and to do so with this wonderful attitude. If you sign up to mow the lawn, you're going to get fresh air. You're going to get some exercise. You will have an opportunity for vitamin D to be produced within your body because you're out in the sun. If you don't have allergies or something that will make you sick by doing so, then you get the pleasure of feeling the green grass, sometimes all over your body. You get to experience, I must admit, certain times of the year, mosquitoes, which we all know is God's greatest blessing. (laughs) And so I want you to take the initiative for serving. We announce places where there are needs. Please jump in and serve. Just think of how God could use us and how much we could get done if we all put some effort into the Lord's work. And the key word there is all. This week, John Coughlin and I were talking about... uh, the ever-present rule, we've heard it a million times, you know, the 80-20 rule, that 100% of the work is done by 20% of the church, and there are 80% who don't. And John said, let's fix that, Kelly. And you know what I did? I looked at him, and I kind of went, nah, that'll never change. It'll never be different than that. It's been this way my whole life in the church. Why would it change now? And John said, no, we need to change it. He's right. He's right. Like, how do you argue with that? How can we, somebody could stand up this morning and say, no, it's not my responsibility. I just want to come on Sunday mornings. Folks, we are Christians. 
We give our lives to Jesus Christ. He's asking us to give our lives completely to him. How is it that we could ever say, no? So this morning I have the privilege of letting you know that not only is John right, but that if you answer God's call to serve, God will bless his kingdom. God will bless the world. And God will bless you the way that he blessed Paul. Paul was called to offer his life. He was told he would face hardships. He was beaten, as I said. He was thrown into the sea. He was stoned, left for dead, imprisoned, and a hundred things that I'm not mentioning. And I'm thinking that God is going to bless us if we serve him. If Paul can do that, I'm thinking a couple of weeks, or a couple of hours, I should say, out of a week for us, isn't very much to ask. I'm thinking that to give... 10% of your income to the Lord's work and keep 90% for yourself. Not a bad deal, really, when Jesus gave himself completely to us. And you might think, man, is Kelly coming back ever trying to produce guilt in all of us? No, I'm not. I want God and his Holy Spirit to guilt you to death. I want God to show you that there is something that we need to do In terms of service to him, we all have that responsibility, and I hope we take it. So, put your hard hats on, get your tool belt, put on your work boots, put on your jeans, put on your flannel shirt. Most of our elders wear flannel shirts, and I thought I would just wear one today. And let's go to work, because God wants us to. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege and blessing we have of serving you. We do want to serve you. We do want God to do your will. And I'm firmly convinced, God, that you will bless us when we do. Help us to give ourselves completely to you, to hold nothing back the way you held nothing back by giving us your son. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.